What is up, everybody? I'm Dylan Perdemery, and welcome back to another episode of Top Shelf. Welcome to episode number seven and the completion of week number five in the NHL. And here's a cool little snippet for you before we get started. Connor McDavid is currently sat at 499 career points and could become the 20th player to ever get 500 points in less than 400 games. He will play his 369th game tonight against Winnipeg. If he gets a single point tonight, he will be tied for the eighth fastest, tied with another former active first overall pick. Can you guess who that is? If you said Sidney Crosby, yes. He could reach 500 points in the same amount of games as Sid the Kid, which would be pretty cool as his successor as the face of the NHL. Anyways, we got lots to review in this episode, including the NHL games at Lake Tahoe, more on Black History Month, Alex Galchenyuk was treated twice in three days, and how the divisions are lining up so far for the playoff race. So let's hop right on in to another episode of Top Show. So this weekend, we are going to have outdoor games. So the NHL Bridgestone Outdoor Games first came around in 2003 and now has held at least one game every year by the NHL since 2008. Since then, all but five teams have participated in one of these events. The Tampa Bay Lightning, the Vegas Golden Knights, the Columbus Blue Jackets, the Florida Panthers, and the Arizona Coyotes. This year will be a bit different given the circumstances. The Minnesota Wild were supposed to host the St. Louis Blues on New Year's Day at Target Field. However, the NHL did postpone this till 2022 because the Winter Classic, they felt, should be given the fans a chance to experience it. In December of 2020, the NHL sent out seven scouts to Edgewood Tahoe Resort in Nevada. When the scouts got to the 18th hole there, that's where they decided they were going to build an arena or a rink, I should say. <clears throat> it's going to be a huge chance for the NHL and the NHL Executive Vice President of Events, Dean Matsuzaki, said it was the most unique site visit we've ever done. Because normally what the NHL does is they visit around 20 different sites before deciding where they want to pick out to be their place. But this is the first time where they went to one place and picked it. They also normally have like about a year to decide and plan everything out but this time it was just two months that they had to figure out a location and get it built now there's lots of challenges the nhl has run into with building a rink on a golf course next to a lake but it should make for one of the best games played in the natural outdoors there's going to be two games played at this makeshift arena the first is the vegas gold knights will play up against the colorado avalanche on saturday at 3 p.m eastern standard time The Golden Knights will be making their first outdoor appearance. As I said, they were one of the five teams that hadn't made it. Now there will only be four. They're going to be facing up against an Avalanche team who is 0-2 currently in their outdoor game careers and will be seeking to get their first win outdoors. The Golden Knights sit atop of the West while the Avs trail in third place by four points, but they do have a game in hand. So it'll be interesting to see how that game goes down. should be amazing. The second match will be a rematch of the January 1st, 2010 game where the Boston Bruins hosted the Philadelphia Flyers at Fenway Park. 
They will be playing on Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in that game at Fenway Park that they played in 2010. The Bruins and the Flyers both were making their outdoors debut, and the Bruins' Marco Sturm scored the overtime winner. From those teams, the Flyers still have two players on their roster, Claude Giroux and James Van Riemsdyk, and the Bruins have three players, Patrice Bergeron, David Krejci, and Tuka Rask, but Tuka Rask at the time was the backup to Tim Thomas. So he didn't actually play in the game, he was just the backup. But the Bruins are currently 2-1 and one in outdoor games, while the Flyers are 1-2-1. and one. I just want to say it's a great job at the NHL making this arena so it's going to be out on the golf course right next to the lake it's going to have that outdoorsy feel kind of something that maybe these players have experienced before where they're playing out on a lake or something like that back in their childhood there's not going to be any fans there so it's just going to be like playing out on the ice rink outdoors should be really fun I think it's a great job by the NHL while they can't have fans and weren't able to do like the stadium series and the winter classics that they still have some similar event outdoors. Uh, I think it will get some great viewership and I think it'll be very interesting and fun for the players as well. Moving back into Black History Month, the NHL continues on their efforts encouraging any person that if they want to play hockey, they can because as they say, hockey is for everyone. Recently, I read upon how they had a Q&A with the great Jerome Aginla. Aginla is the first Black player to score 1,000 points and the first NHLer to win a gold medal at the Olympics. He's, he has many other great accomplishments as the first Black player to score 400, 500, and 600 goals and the first to ever win the Rocket Richard Trophy. While in the league, Jerome didn't have the same taunts and experience as those who were Black and played in the NHL before him, but as a kid, he said that as far as bad racial experiences, growing up in a minor hockey, I had a couple and a couple is too many, but I had very supportive teammates. Now, obviously, he, as a kid, he did have to go through some stuff, and he said he had a couple and that a couple is too many, which is completely right. While others may have had it worse, there's no reason at all anyone should feel unwelcome into the sport of hockey and feel at any disadvantage. I love Aginla's response as a kid. Uh, people would ask him why, why is he going for the NHL if there are barely any black players? And what Aginla would do is he would name every single black player that had ever played in the NHL. He followed all of them and knew every single player. So he would say one player and they'd say, oh, but that's one player. He'd say another player and he would just keep on listing all these players. And while those before him may not have accomplished what he did, they were the stepping stones that provided him a chance and that inspired him to be one of the best black players to play the sport and one of the best to ever play in the sport. Uh, he was recently inducted into the Hall of Fame as a part of the 2020 class. There's not going to be any ceremony this year, but they will have a ceremony in November 2021, and they won't be having a class for 2021 so that they can honor these people properly with fans and other people around. <clears throat> it's a, a great read and a great listen of his interview. I would recommend checking it out. It's very good and it's inspiring for those who are trying to make it in fight through any disadvantage that they have been put at in either hockey, any sport, or just in life in general. 
In other news with Black History Month, the San Jose Sharks front office member Mohamed Fafana designed pregame warm-up jerseys for the Sharks honoring Black History Month. Brody Brazil did an interview with Fafana about how the designing process was. And it was just really cool to watch and hear his thoughts behind it. I'm not going to go into much detail. I recommend you also check that out if you haven't seen it and get the jerseys a look because they actually are very cool. They were pregame uh, warm-up jerseys and they were actually auctioned off afterwards for charity. <clears throat> now moving back to the man of discussion, Willie O'Ree, who has been talked about all of this month and just in general in the NHL. Um, both the NHL and the Boston Bruins have decided not to hold his jersey retirement this year, but delay it to February 18th of next year. He was originally supposed to be honored tonight, but they believe if it's going to be done, it should be done right with fans, family, and other and others there to truly honor his great accomplishments, both on and off the ice. This week, we will also see these special skates that were made by Bauer with the face of Willie O'Ree on them. And on one side of the skate, it'll have that. And then on the other side, there's going to be a peace symbol. And then there's also going to be other messages like BLM, change, inspire, and other stuff just like that, which I think is really cool. And Alex Nylander of the <clears throat> Alex Nylander and Patrick Kane are expected to be the first to wear these skates. And their games are tonight, and all these skates will be auctioned off, and all money will go to the Black Girl Hockey Club to help contribute to them, which I think this is an amazing job by the NHL. They've really been doing a lot pushing on Black History Month and informing. There's been lots of good articles and stuff from former Black players of the NHL or <clears throat> other, like, Black players, like a female. Like, I read something about a, the first ever – collegiate black female which is very interesting very good i highly recommend checking all this out and looking more into nhl's black history month now as we transition back into what is going on with teams in the nhl we have two trades recently the first saw the ottawa senators send cedric paquette and alex galchenyuk to the hurricanes for ryan dezingle now ryan dezingle was drafted by the senators back in 2011 and will be making a return back to his original team. What this deal does for the Senators is ship out two forwards who really didn't have much of a future on this rebuilding Senators team. Uh, they, they know they're going to be rebuilding for the future. They're probably one of the worst, if not the worst, teams in the NHL. This allows for younger players to step up and take on bigger minutes. As well, they get a player in Dezingle who's a great two-way guy and is better than the two players that they actually did give up. Dezingle does only have one year left on his contract, so he could leave into free agency. However, he could also resign with the Senators. He'll probably be getting top six minutes, something he may not be promised in other places. If he performs well and they like how he's playing with their team, they might sign him, maybe he'll sign. Ultimately, though, there's no risk for the centers here. It's really high upside and low downside. Now, the Canes acquired these two forwards. However, they dropped Galchenyuk through waivers, where he went unclaimed. The Leafs offered a trade for him where they get sent Igor Korshkov and David Warsofsky for Galchenyuk. Now, the good thing about Galchenyuk is that he did not leave Ottawa, meaning that he doesn't have to quarantine because he is in Canada and come, can come right into Toronto's lineup. 
However, it doesn't seem like he will be going and being placed right into their lineup. Now, let's break down this entire, what I'm going to call a three-team deal, because that's kind of what it turns out to be. So I kind of discussed the Senators end up, they give up Paquette and Galchenyuk for Dezinkle. For their grade, I'm going to give them a B just because Dezinkle's a great player, and they can't really lose anything from this trade. It can all, they really, all they can do is gain something if they sign Dezinkle to a two or three or who knows how long extension. The Hurricanes technically give up Dezingle for Paquette, Korshkov, and Warsawski. Paquette will be a great addition of veteranship on a relatively young Hurricanes team. He was a part of the Tampa Bay Lightning Stanley Cup team that won this past year, and he's a great two-way who can play anywhere you really need him to play. He'll probably fill out into their bottom six, maybe the fourth line. As far as Warsawski, he's a 30-year-old D-man. He's kind of a journeyman. He's played a few games in the NHL. He'll probably sit on their taxi squad unless needed and fill out as a depth defenseman who can round out your top six if needed. Finally is Korshkov, who's 24. He's only played one game in his career. He has some potential and could be rotated into the squad if need be for injury's sake. I'm going to give the Hurricanes a B plus just because I think they get great depth and we're able to flip Galchenyuk in that trade for even more. The final team who gave up Warsawski and Korshkov for Galchenyuk, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, Galchenyuk will not make it into the Leafs' top six. They have a very, very strong top six. So we're going to look at their bottom six where he could fit in. So their third line has been established as a checking line, so he's not going to fit in there. He's a playmaker. He won't fit in with their checking line. So we're really looking at the fourth line here, and ultimately he might be able to get thrown in there, but he'll probably sit as a depth player to fill in for those top six players or any player on injury or if they're in quarantine. The Leafs don't really give up a whole lot and get back a solid player for depth especially a Leafs team that has been very good this year and are probably looking to make a Stanley Cup push. It can't help hurt to have that great depth. Um, Galchenyuk has had an on and off career. He can explode. He, he, he does have his bright moments. I'm also going to give the Leafs a B. Uh, nothing really bad. The only loss, I guess, is Korshkov, who's a bit of a prospect, but I, I don't. I think the Leafs need to be in a win-now mentality after acquiring John Tavares, and they do free up an extra player slot in their roster. Next thing I want to do is check in on each division. First, starting with the East. In the East, it currently goes Bruins, Islanders, Flyers, and Capitals are the four teams that would be making playoffs if the season were to end this just today. The Bruins and the Flyers have both looked nothing like nothing short of amazing, and they're without a doubt going to make it into the playoffs. I also think that the Sabres and the Rangers will not be making the playoffs this year. Um, I just, I don't, the Rangers have looked lackluster. Zubinajad hasn't had the same season as he had last year. <clears throat> and they, they just haven't looked as good as they were expecting to be. And the Sabres with Taylor Hall and Jack Eichel, just 
haven't impressed either. I didn't have any high expectations. Some people thought Hall would bring something extra to this team. They, they he really hasn't. Um, I, that's not surprising to me. So that's going to leave us with the Penguins, Capitals, Islanders, and Devils for those final two spots in the playoffs. The Devils look to be a long shot, but they are a hard team to beat, especially Blackwood has been in fire. They did just come back after like two weeks of not playing and beat out the Rangers five to two. I don't think they're going to ultimately make it into the playoffs, but they will have some wear and tear on many other teams. The Penguins who have looked pretty bad this season are missing goaltender. And there actually has been rumors that Marc-Andre Fleury could see a return back to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, a reunion with this squad would be very hard to do right now because the Golden Knights have Robin Lehner, who would be their number one. But currently, Marc-Andre Fleury is in that role as Lehner has been struggling with injury to get back. Pittsburgh hasn't had the goaltending they need in Tristan Jari or DeSmith. So if they were looking to make a playoff push, we could see Flurry come back. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard. They, re- they really need Crosby and Malkin to get, get them going again because they, I will say that Rust has looked very good for them in helping them out, and maybe him and Crosby together can get them going and back on track. The Capitals have had their ups and downs this season. They, they need to get back their consistency. They've been losing players due to COVID restrictions. They lost Ovechkin for a bit. They lost Samsonov, their rookie goaltender. However, they do have Vanacek, who is another rookie goaltender who has impressed in Samsonov's absence, which could lead to a very good one-two punch with two rookie goaltenders. Uh, I think ultimately the Capitals will pull it back together. They have a very talented squad and lots of veteran players. I, I think ultimately they'll make the playoffs and when they're in the playoffs, they'll be, they'll be hard to beat and they'll be scary because lots of those players have been there before. Finally, we have the Islanders who have Varlamov, a potential Vesna candidate who has looked amazing in a very strong decor, followed by a superstar in Matthew Barzell and captain Anders Lee, who has been looking very well this season. I think they they will be one of those teams to make it into a playoff spot. I'll also put the Capitals in there at the number four spot, and I'll have the Pittsburgh Penguins actually missing out on the playoffs. In the Central now we go, rounding the top four is the Lightning, the Panthers, the Hurricanes, and the Blackhawks. Now, the Lightning have always been a sure for the playoff for me, and I think the Hurricanes also will be making it into the playoffs. Obviously, Lightning, former Stanley Cup, Champions looked amazing. Hurricanes have an insane core, both defensively and are electric on offense with their young core. The Dallas Stars, who currently sit in sixth place, have fallen off a bit from their hot start, but they do sit in that position with only 12 games played and they're behind the Blackhawks, who have 17. So they have five games in hand to make up. I think it's four points. So Dallas could easily hop up into second or even third, which I think they will. They have such an offensive powerhouse and will get into the playoffs and be bolstered when Sagan comes back. <clears throat> Excuse me. Panthers in Blue Jackets and Blackhawks. 
will all be competing for that fourth spot, in my opinion. I think the Lightning, Hurricanes, and Certs will claim it. The Blackhawks have been a shock to everyone with an amazing rookie performance, including goaltender Kevin Lankinen, who I haven't really spoke upon, but he's 6-2 and two on the season with a .925 save percentage and a 2.49 goals against, which I would say is pretty good for a Blackhawks team who is rebuilding, they said. And Patrick Kane, he, he doesn't want to rebuild. Patrick Kane is having an MVP-like season out there. Uh, he's got seven goals and 22 points with the Hawks this year, and they're looking pretty scary. You better not count them out because a determined Patrick Kane and a bunch of these young players like Pius Suter as well with Lankinen, I, I would watch out for this Blackhawks team. The Columbus Blue Jackets, who have looked well with Jack Roslovich surprisingly being a point-per-game player this season, and if, if you did not see this, he had an absolutely filthy move. You got to go check it out up against the Hurricanes. He was absolutely feeling himself at the puck on a string. It was insane. And he got the secondary assist on that goal. Line A hasn't looked the best. He's set up at that point like OB sets up at that top of that circle and just blasts an absolute bomb into the net. Kind of what he's going to be doing there. He'll probably need to step it up a bit. Um, but they haven't looked bad, but not good enough. And I'm not sure if they'll make it because the Panthers have shocked everyone this season off the shoulders of Barkov and Huberto, who are the obvious stars of the team. And Carter Verhage, the second-year player, has looked very impressive this season. And the Panthers are currently sat second with a record of 9-2-2. Two and two. The Panthers, a team I kind of threw under the bus at the beginning of the season, not going to lie. I didn't think they were going to really do much. But, I mean, Sergei Bobrovsky has not looked well this season, but the rest of the team has looked really good. And, I mean, they sit 9-2-2, two and two, so I'm just going to let that speak for itself. Next, we're going to move on to the West, where the teams currently in playoff positions are the Golden Knights, Blues, Avalanche, Coyotes. Now in the West, I believe that the top three are going to be locked up by Vegas, St. Louis, and Colorado. The last spot can really go to any of the other teams. <clears throat> the Wild, who were my prediction to claim that last spot, have kind of fallen off from their hot start. However, they do trail in games played and could claim that fourth spot. My favorites will have to be them or the Coyotes. Uh, I think the Sharks aren't good enough. And like I said in the previous episode, they have too much money locked up into that decor and they don't have the cap space to make any real moves to make a playoff push. I don't think the claim, the Kings will claim that spot because Kopitar and Dowdy are still elite players in this league. And the rest of the team, however, is just not really good enough. Jonathan Quick was elite for like two or three seasons. He's now just like a meh. Their second best defenseman is Oli Mata, who's paired up with Drew Doughty. And besides Anze Kopitar, and then I guess you have Jeff Carter, Andreas Athanasio. It's, it's just, I could name them, but it's just not enough. Finally is the Ducks, who I think would have trouble sneaking into the playoffs but maybe a long shot, I guess you could put them in there. 
only because of the fact that they have John Gibson in that one of the best goaltenders in the league, Ryan Getzloff, good veteran present with Ricard Raquel, their decor is just kind of average and their depth isn't really there. So I think they would have to be carried by John Gibson into that fourth playoff. I'm not saying it's impossible. It would be a long shot though. And speaking of the Coyotes who are currently in fourth and have a good chance at getting into the playoffs on the shoulders of Connor Garland, who has had quite the season. He has 14 points on the year and goalie Darcy Kemper, who has looked very good for them as well. They will need both of them to stay sharp, to have a chance at making the playoffs. They'll most likely be competing with that Minnesota wild team. Finally, we move on to the North. So right now sits the Maple Leafs and Canadians, Jets and Oilers are the top four teams. The Maple Leafs and Canadians do look like the hottest teams in that division, despite the Maple Leafs performance against the Senators where they blew, yes, a 5-1 lead. Their, uh, their team is very good and could very well top, finish top of the league. Now, I just want to talk a bit about this Maple Leafs performance because I think it's funny. So the Maple Leafs obviously have a history of blowing leads and just like disappointing. They were up 5-1 with 10 seconds left in that second period up against the Ottawa Senators who were like the worst team in the league. <clears throat> and uh, they were on the power play and John Tavares throws a dumb pass into the center of the ice with 10 seconds left in his own defensive zone. I don't know what he was thinking, gives it away, makes it 5-2, going into the third period. Ultimately, the Senators come back tight 5-5 and win it 6-5 in overtime. Um, and people might think that, oh, that's okay. I mean, Leafs are first in the league. Like, everyone's going to have that one loss. And yeah, I guess, but when, when these tendencies start to come back for the Leafs, it, they're going to start to panic because then what happens if you do this in a playoff game in the playoff series you the, the other team's going to have all the momentum going forward it sees little things like where the defense starts looking lackluster goaltender frederick anderson isn't doing it is where it becomes scary we'll see if they bounce back in these next couple games in the week we'll kind of forget about that but Right now, they're going to make the playoffs. The Maple Leafs have looked amazing. <clears throat> and the Canadians, who I mentioned, have impressed me so much. Uh, it's a team I wasn't sure if would make the playoffs. Um, there's been amazing play through the entire team, led by defenseman Jeff Petrie, who has had a very good season. And, I mean, if he keeps playing, he could potentially go up for the Norris. Victor Hedman's kind of looked like the favorite so far, but Jeff Petrie has had a very good season. And Carey Price, who is still elite and could help the Canadians make a very deep run this year. The three teams that are fighting for third, fourth, third and fourth, and that is the Oilers, Jets, and the Flames. Now, we knew the Senators were down and out, one of the worst teams in the league, and that's okay because they knew that, and that's fine. The Canucks, however, they took a step back this year after losing goaltender Jacob Markstrom and Christopher Tanev to the Flames. And then they also lost Tyler Toffoli to the Canadians, all Canadian teams within their division that they lost. They haven't they haven't looked the best. Um, they're probably going to finish outside of the playoffs. Don't get me wrong, but they do have a very strong core. 
Quinn Hughes, amazing. Elias Patterson, amazing. Bill Horvat, a great second line center who doesn't get the recognition that way he does. Brett Bresser, an amazing sniper who will be great with Elias Patterson for the future. They, they have a good core. Um, <clears throat> it's just not going to happen this year. The Jets have looked very hot in the back of Connor Hellebuck and that, and Mark Shifley and Nikolai Ehlers, especially Nikolai Ehlers, has taken a humongous step up this season. Mark Shifley is doing what he does. He's a great top first-line center. Nicholas, Nikolai Ehlers has looked very impressive, lighting it up for the Jets team. They're good. Their they're offensive core, especially adding Pierre-Luc Dubois, is a Stanley Cup contender. Their offense is a Stanley Cup contender there. Uh, their defense is where they kind of lack with their top D-man being Josh Morrissey, not really someone you would think in your top two for a Stanley Cup team. <clears throat> Something that they might look to address this season or more likely in the future, as you probably won't see a team trading away a top two D-man. I do think they'll claim a spot in the playoffs. <clears throat> that would leave me with the Oilers and the Flames. They have kind of been playing under their expected same, like probably right around, just tad bit underneath. Markstrom's been playing very well, as I expected, for the Calgary Flames. Don't know what was up with the Vancouver Canucks and letting him go, but he's going to be a big part of the reason why they have a shot on the backs of Goudreau and Monaghan on their top line, and Elias Lindholm, who has looked very well this season. Um, they, they've just... They've kind of like, they haven't seemed to be in full gear yet this season. Like they haven't really pushed and pushed it. Um, they're playing decent, not insane. We'll look to see if they, there's still time. I mean, you still got plenty of time to work out all your little kinks and stuff and then finally get going. They really don't have the depth. I think that's it. They don't, they don't really have that depth uh, in their bottom six. They got Dylan Dubé down there, but that's that's pretty much it. That would probably be where they might look to fix upon. Now, let, let's uh, let's move on to the Oilers. The Oilers haven't seen much help with their goaltending, as I mentioned earlier, of um, Koskinen. However, though, they have thrown in Mike Smith. He's 2-1 and one so far in that. He hasn't looked awful. It's still an issue they're going to have to address because Mike Smith's, why, he's like somewhere like 35 years old. Um, <clears throat> they, they don't have their goaltender of the future yet, which they're going to need. Or a goaltender just now to help win a championship, win the Stanley Cup. And the Oilers obviously have been carried on the back of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, as was to be expected with the season. Um, both of them are putting up insane numbers. I think if they keep putting up the numbers they are, the Oilers can make the playoffs alone off outscoring their opponents. Finally, we move into my three stars of the week. At number three, we have Jordan Stahl of the Carolina Hurricanes. Now Stahl has got four goals, one assist for five points and a plus one in the Hurricanes past three games where they are three and no. Saul, who has been centering a third line, is a phenomenal player and has been solid throughout his whole career, does it all for the team and really shows how deep their center core is if he's playing third line center for you. He can absolutely feast out there against the other team's bottom six, but he can even help match up and go up against other teams' top lines. At number two, we've got Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane, obviously, of the Chicago Blackhawks, has one goal and four assists 
and five points in their last three games for a plus three. The Blackhawks are two and one in this stretch. Kane having an amazing MVP like season, throwing the team on the back of his shoulders. He's fourth in points this season. Uh, he's been the focal part of their success, especially with the team missing Jonathan Thames, uh, helping give these other young guns that are getting their first chance in the Hawks organization a great start to their career. And finally, my number one star, Cam Atkinson. Atkinson, who had three goals, four assists, and seven for seven points, and a plus four in three games where CBJ went one, one, and one. He has been paired on a line with two new players, Patrick Laine and Jack Roslovic, who were both come in from that Dubois trade. They have been on the first line and they've been impressing. Cam Atkinson has been a great top six sniper in his career. Looks to get the struggling Blue Jackets, Blue Jackets team rolling with the hopes to make the playoffs. Uh, Atkinson has looked very good and actually looked really good alongside of both those players. We'll see how their line combinations kind of go throughout the season. Blue Jackets tend to settle in and find those lines where they can fit in Rosovic and Patrick Line. And finally, to finish it out, I'm just going to give you the league leaders in the season as it currently stands. Pius Suter, someone to look out for on the Chicago Blackhawks playing alongside of Patrick Kane, overtakes Kapril Kaprizov. He has 10 points to lead all rookies now. McDavid still leads the league in both points in assists with 30 points and 21 assists. Austin Matthews sits on top of the league with 13 goals. Quinn Hughes still leads all defensemen with 19 points. And with his first start for the Sharks, let me see if I can butcher his name. Alexei Melnichuk. Alexei Melnichuk is what I'm going to go with. Leads with zero goals against and a thousand save percentage after having a shutout in his first appearance. Paul Varlamov is joined by John Gibson now with three shutouts on the season. All right. Well, that's going to do it for today. Jam-packed. Hope you all enjoyed. Lots and lots of action this past week with Black History Month. Alex Galchenyuk, Galchenyuk getting traded twice in three days and lots of shakeups in the standing and seeing how the playoff picture is looking like it's going to fall out. We still got lots more hockey going on this season. Lake Tahoe, make sure to tune in this weekend, both Saturday and Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Saturday, we've got the Vegas Golden Knights against the Avalanche. And on Sunday, we will have the Bruins against the Fires. Thank you all for listening. Make sure to follow me here on Spotify. I'll catch you all next week for another episode of Top Shelf.